Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I live, work and create, the Kumbameri people of the Yungumbe Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Hello and welcome to A Nourish Woman, the podcast. I am your host, Mika Ray. This is a conversational series created to guide women towards a more true, whole, fulfilling and joyful way of living. Together with some truly incredible guests, we embrace what connects us to our vitality and some of the ways that we can nourish our minds, bodies and soul. A Nourish Woman represents a return to wholeness and reclamation of our innate wisdom, our body's intelligence, our appetite for life and our capacity for joy, play and pleasure. It's about moving beyond mere survival and embodying a nourishing and generative mode of living that is aligned with our values, our energy, our desires, and honors the season of life we are in. Thank you for being here. Enjoy. I am so excited to introduce you to Greer Stanning. Greer is a creative expression and business mentor human design embodiment coach, artist, writer, speaker, and energy revolutionary. Mm, I love that. Greer works with creative entrepreneurs to distill their unique zest and star qualities into high-value commercial offerings that build one-of-a-kind creative legacy businesses. She uses the sciences of human design, relational intelligence and body-led energetics to inform a personalized approach to self, art and business that helps creatives optimize their energy investments and maximize their personal fulfillment as entrepreneurs. A commercial litigator for 10 years, Greer supports her clients in implementing what she calls bespoke business strategies that amplify both the felt experience of her clients' offerings and their prosperity generating potential. Greer is a 5-1 emotional manigen, Leo Sun, Aquarius Moon and Sagittarius Rising. I want to take this opportunity to speak a little into my experience with Greer. Greer has been my mentor off and on for about a year and a half. What started as a bespoke business human design reading led to being a mentoring client getting to know my unique energetic anatomy, our deconditioning and reconditioning journey, which we get into in this conversation. She has been such an expander and instrumental in both my personal growth and the growth of my business. Gria is a divine creature full of otherworldly wisdom and I have to say... <laughs> one of my absolute favorite human beings. She has been so significant in the journey of connecting me to my embodiment of what it means for me to be a nourished woman, and I will be forever grateful. In this episode, we cover her journey from a frustrated and burnt-out litigation lawyer to a woman that is thriving. What human design is, and when it came into her orbit, uncovering our inner ecosystems, our nervous system imprints and patterns, 
what deconditioning and reconditioning means in the context of human design and inner resourcing and nourishment in daily life. For anyone new to human design, I want you to be rest assured that we get into this and I get Greer's unique take and explanation of what human design is. I also urge you to go and do a little bit of your own research. Pull up your chart. There are so many amazing resources out there now. Making contact with what it means for you to be a nourish woman starts with a better understanding of self. And from my experience, human design has been one of the most affirming systems I've ever made contact with. I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, let's jump straight in. So the first question I wanted to ask you is how you would describe the current season of life you are in. Oh my God, Mika, I love this question. (laughs) I love it. The current season of life I'm in. Well, I guess when I think back to where I was even just like five years ago and I was working as a litigation lawyer. I was in my late 20s. I was in my satin return. I was burning the candle at both ends. I was hyper fixated on particular goals and metrics around I need to buy a house. I need to get married. I need to have babies. Oh, fuck. Like, I'm about to turn 30. And and I was just feeling absolutely disconnected from myself and freaking out about how I was going to fix my life. Basically, I was really stressed out. I was burnt out and I'd actually arrived at that place because I had achieved all of the goals that I had set for myself back when I initially Mm. graduated high school. So I knew I wanted to be a litigation lawyer. I knew I wanted to work for a national firm. I I pursued all of those typical things like every, you know, little Hermione Granger at high school does. And that was definitely me. (laughs) And on the other side of achieving all of those goals, like so many people have the same experience. I realized that I don't want any of this. It's not fun. It's not Mm -hmm. sustainable for my body. I feel like I never have time to see my family. Life is really short. And I was starting to really opened my eyes up to all of those things. And it totally shifted a lot of my core values because of that and led me into a totally different season of life. As well, the type of law I was doing when I was a litigator was primarily focused in personal injuries. So every single day I was going to work and reading thousands and thousands and thousands of words every day, in-depth accounts of people's most terrible days of their life, the day where they've lost everything, the day where they've had a freak accident. Um, Some of the cases I worked on involved children. Like it was really, really, really heavy stuff. And that actually sent Mm -hmm. me into like a a legit existential crisis. But it also cultivated this sense within me that, fuck, life is so short. Nothing is guaranteed. Literally Mm -hmm. nothing is guaranteed. You could at any moment have everything turned on its head. And the more this sort of like I sat with that piece and I tried to quieten the part of myself that wanted to catastrophize and move into anxiety mode and I was Mm -hmm. definitely dealing with 
anxiety, the more I arrived at a place of what was really important for me. And that is the the value piece that really started to solidify and led me to designing a life in a very different way. And I had to dismantle a lot of the rules and the conditioning imprints I was carrying myself in order to get into this season of life mm. that I'm in right now. So I know that's kind of like a, a long answer, but I think that background context is really important because every single person has their own story and journey in that way. And a previous version of myself would have felt like I needed to justify what whatever action it was that I was taking um, in consideration mm-hmm. to what those conditioning imprints were trying to tell me. So I I didn't just leave my law career. I actually felt like the universe pushed me out of it. And I didn't, I didn't make that decision going, oh yeah, like I'm totally owning this decision. <laughs> like I'm leaving law. I know what I'm doing here. It was something that felt like it, it was, it was, it was written. It was written. It was going to happen sooner or later, but it was something that I sort of had to learn the hard way. And on the other side of that, I realized actually when it comes to this one precious life that I have, this this short amount of time on this earth, I need to conscious, consciously co-create that from the ground up. And that looks like a million little decisions that I was making every single day that allowed me to create a different life. And fast forward five years, I'm now living as a complete creative. I have a really beautiful regenerative digital business where I get to work with other phenomenal creative people. I get to utilize all of the skills that I developed for 10 years as a litigator in the business space, but I'm living so much more softly and gently. And the goals that I have are, they look nothing like the goals I had when I was 27 and I really needed to own XYZ and go holiday in XYZ place or it was just very much so externally focused. So these days, life is looking so much more peaceful <laughs> and mm-hmm. and embodied and calm. But I had to have that dismantling. I had to have that wake-up call. I had to burn out and be pushed into that sort of initiation, which is so Saturn return, like such a typical Saturn return experience. Mine was the first house of identity, so... That kind of explains it a little bit as well. Mm. I've just adopted I love that. Well. Just, to, just to give a little bit more context to, this, <laughs> to the type of the season of life I'm in. I've, we've just adopted our, our little man, Mo, and, you know, I relocated out of the city back to my hometown in Airlie Beach, and life is about nature, creation, community, family, and none of the things I used to think were important are important anymore. <laughs> mm. So how do you think that you made contact with those values? Because obviously they shifted, but I'm wondering, like, what do you think was the catalyst for you, you know, discovering what your new value set was? It really, like if I was to give some kind of metaphor for it, it felt like a chiseling away. 
because it was always there. Mm. And I think every single one of us knows deep, deep, deep down what it is that we really value. But whilst we're moving with the tribe or we're moving with our conditioning imprints, it's so easy to believe something else. So I mm-hmm. had a series of experiences that just, and this is why I said before, it felt like it was written. It felt like the universe was pushing me in this direction in a really obvious way because it was an experience of things being almost thrown in my face. Like, are you going to keep doing this to mm. yourself? Like, what the fuck, Grizzly? Wake up. Um <laughs> One of those experiences was, to be perfectly honest, um, whilst I was still working as a lawyer, one of my, 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 it was actually my boss, her husband passed away really young and unexpectedly in an accident. And that was like a big, I'd already been very much so sitting with this existential sort of conundrum and thinking about this, this whole topic a lot and then that happened and I was like what are we doing like I'm billing six units of my time I'm constantly stressed I don't see my friends and family I might have this really great job but fuck my partner could die at any moment and it was just like it was extremely rattling to my core and I think when you Mm. witness anyone going through something like that it doesn't matter how far removed it it just is such a visceral reminder that none of us are exempt from that experience and that life really Mm -hmm. is short and so there were a few things Mm -hmm. like that and that was a really big one that hit me really deeply um and yeah I I just started to be like okay universe I'm fucking listening to you but it was to answer the question Mm. I really felt like a combination of these events showing me what I needed to see and me me being ready to start seeing them because I knew I wasn't happy. I knew I was burnt out and depleted. And then me starting to peel back and shedding those things. And as I let those things go, my own core values became so much louder. And I realized these had already, these had always been there. And I had always been connected to them. I'd just somewhere along the line, I'd stopped moving from that place. And I'd started pursuing what I'd been conditioned to believe was important. So, you know, you graduate uni and you get a job and then you start climbing this corporate ladder. And, you, you, you know, I worked with people that I absolutely loved. I worked with excellent lawyers. I, mm. They inspired me. And so in that ecosystem, the... I guess like the motivating force is really painted as climbing up, getting promoted, having incredible results for your clients. And I got swept up in that machine. I have an undefined heart as well. And there was something in me that, you know, the the people pleaser, the person who just wanted to to achieve that that little, like I said, inner Hermione Granger mm-hmm. really got caught up in that space. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're all guilty of that in different versions. Mm. Um, I love what you said about the values kind of already being there. And I think this, I think this is the thing. I think we think 
we, or we make it more complicated than it actually is or needs to be. Like I think you're so right about those values just always being there, those core values, which mm-hmm. I think are probably fairly universal um, and and quite simple, I think. But I think, yeah, for some reason we we feel like that can't possibly be enough or those things can't possibly fulfil us um, as much as success. And I suppose that's where the conditioning piece comes in as well. So you've mentioned, you said, um, you mentioned undefined heart and obviously we haven't touched on human design yet and I'm hoping we can have um, a unique conversation about it. But when did you make contact with human design? How did that happen and, and... Yeah, I'd love to know a little bit about that because I don't actually know. <laughs> yeah, I. it was during this whole sort of existential crisis, this Saturn return period that I was in. That's when I found out about it. So mm. it felt kismet because I, I had this lunch planned with a friend from who I'd met in Japan and she came to visit me in Newcastle and we organized a lunch and I hadn't seen her in years and she sat next to me and she goes, Grizzly, oh my God, have you heard of human design? You're going to absolutely juice your pants. Like you're going to lose it. It's so, it's so great. It's, <laughs> it's such a thing. And she showed me on her phone um, and we were talking about it and I was like, oh my God, I love this. Um, so she was my roommate when I was traveling over in Japan doing a ski season. And I think the poor, the poor girl heard me talk about astrology and personal development and energy and all <laughs> a lot over that season being my roommate. Um, and so God bless her. And um, Hannah, she, my good friend, let me know about this system. And from there, it was just, I went and ordered every single book. And I think I paid like some ridiculous amount of money because at that point it was really hard to get human design books in Australia. Mm. So there was that. And I think for me, you know, I'm super ninth house heavy in placements um, in my natal astrology, my five one, like I said, Hermione Granger, like love my books, love to learn. And so from there, it was just, all-consuming as well I'd already previously studied the systems that human design is comprised of so the I Ching obviously astrology the Kabbalah um, and the chakra system as well so I was really familiar with those um, I guess schools of thought mythologies and when I moved into learning about human design it really felt like oh, this is just something that I, this is a language I already speak. It's just really this beautiful articulation Mm. that I just absolutely loved. So it was, that was the beginning. Um, But I think in terms of like my body of work specifically and my approach to human design, that really seeded many, many years before when I was 22 years old, I was in a, car accident and I was quite badly injured in that I had a really bad back injury I was in an outpatient program for weeks and weeks it took me about a year to recover and during that time I realized at some point that I wasn't healing physically and me being me and the the sort of person Mm -hmm. I was I was like what is the energetic reason and I started researching that um and then I stumbled upon this book by a lady called Carolyn Mace, who, if you know her, you, you absolutely know her. She's been on Oprah. She's, she's just one of the goats 
in this space. Um, and she, one of her, her sort of best-selling books is called Anatomy of the Spirit. And that talks a lot about the body energy system and our, I guess, our, our spiritual, um, our spiritual makeup as human beings and how that is connected with our physical experience and the things that can sort of manifest from that in terms of illness in the body. So that was something that really was seated in me quite young and quite viscerally because I was healing myself. It felt like a, a process I really had to put myself through at that that age of 22. And her book was something that I just, it was my Bible. I literally carried it with me everywhere for years and years. It was a book I had in Japan when I met Hannah and was chewing her ear off about it. So I can see now all these little dots that are connected. And that is really, really crucial to like how I've interpreted the system since then. I love that. I love finding out about that. And it, I think it shows, like you were saying, it just isn't, is more proof that the universe was, you know, tapping on your shoulder. These things were all lining up, you know, for you to land um, where you are now. So obviously some people who are listening, well, not obviously, but um, some people who are listening potentially aren't quite sure what human design is. So can you give, I mean, you've already touched on it beautifully but could you give us like a very succinct kind of explanation of what it is Mm. so human design is a system that synthesizes various ancient wisdom systems and brings them all together and layers in a lot of what we now know through modern science through quantum mechanics through epigenetics through psychology it's sort of like this conglomeration of human wisdom or a wisdom around the mechanical energetic experience of being a physical human being in this incarnation. And the way I think about that system is something that just gives a language to things that are universal truths and things that are mechanical energetic Mm. truths around what it is to live as a human being. And so through that language, by having an awareness of this language and understanding how it uniquely operates for us, how our own unique energetics work, as well as how other people are so energetically diverse from us, allows us to navigate the human experience with so much more awareness and consciousness. Um, It doesn't allow us to bypass the human experience. Um, It's not about like doing life correctly. (laughs) It's not about always following our strategy and authority, which is a key key piece of the human design system. I really like to think of it as a language that is giving an articulation to things that we need Mm. to meaningfully work with if we want to be aware, embodied, authentic individuals. Mm. Perfect. I love that. Um, (laughs) Um. I've heard you speak about it as a way to direct our awareness. You mentioned awareness and our um, thought patterns. What mm. do you mean by that? So human design is really like one of the foundational concepts in human design is that as a tribal species, humans have reached a point in our evolution where we're at this junk, this sort of this intersection 
or this juncture where we are transitioning from really needing to evolve to be very much so interconnected with the tribal system and that's allowed us to arrive at the place that we've Mm. now arrived at but we're also moving past that place now and so we're starting to see in our society that there is this real tension point between the things that are a part of our socialized culture and that's things like conditioning imprints that's things Mm. like me believing I had to go to law school and do life in a particular way in order to be happy um inherited belief um systems that come through that socialization process and our awareness of how they actually can limit and constrain us and how whilst they are very important because we're a tribal species and our brain is wired for social connection you know Brene Brown's work is is you know so incredible in terms of documenting that We know that about ourselves now, but we also know that whilst that's an important part of our evolution, at some point we need to mature our own individual awareness so that we can start to discern which societal um, belief systems, which conditioning imprints, which tribal imprints are things that we need to leave behind or shed or leave on the table for other Mm. people because they're not correct for us as individuals. Because if we can have that awareness around the socialization that we all have, because we're all tribal humans, we're all human Mm. beings, um, and an awareness around where that stops benefiting us and where it actually starts limiting us, that's when we can really start to step into self-actualization. I think there's not a single Mm. human being on the planet who is a who can experience growth without at some point identifying where they need to separate from what they've been taught or the belief systems they've inherited. And that's something that I think we go Mm. on a journey throughout our life and our beliefs Mm. should be evolving and shifting as we shift and evolve. Mm. Amazing. I love that so much. So I wanted to ask you too, because you've mentioned um, conscious awareness and I'm wondering, because you've mentioned this to me before and I thought it was like something we should definitely speak about, which was conscious, the conscious awareness practices that human design gives us a language for. Mm. Um, I'd really love you to kind of explain that and speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I guess like the, the starting point in human design is really understanding, we would say start with your energy type most of the time. That's, that's where you'd be beginning out. So if you were new to human design and you pulled up your chart, one of the first pieces you'd want to look at would be your energy type. And the, the piece that goes along with your energy type is what we call your strategy. And your strategy is one of these awareness practices that I'm speaking to. So Say for instance, um, let's let's talk about manifesting generators. Mm-hmm. We're both manifesting generators, which is one of the five or four energy types. Technically, many gens and generators at the same time, so that's why I say four. Um, but mm-hmm. of those energy types, they all work in different ways in terms of 
your energy type is speaking to the mechanical operation of your auric body. So different human beings mm-hmm. or, there's, or there's, there's different types of human beings in terms of how we use our life force energy day to day and how that is mechanically exchanged with other people and with the environment around us. And the idea is that obviously nature does not make mistakes. Nature is so intelligent and the tribal species as a whole needs every single one of us living the mechanics of our particular type so that the human species can come together in this beautiful symbiosis. So we need manifesting generators Mm. doing and living as manifesting generators. Same for generators, manifestors, reflectors, and projectors, which are the four other types. When we encounter our energy type and we learn about our strategy that goes with that type, it allows us to orient ourselves in the present moment and start to consider how we're actually investing our energy day to day. And are we doing it in a way that is native to our personal energy system or are we doing it in a way that has been programmed, conditioned or learned by the people around us? So I think that is where the awareness practice has such a practical application just day to day. So for many gens, our strategy is, well, it's, it, it's described as wait, wait to respond. And what that's really talking about mm-hmm. is having some kind of somatic connection to your, what we call in human design, your sacral life force. So the sacral is one of the energy centers in human design. So that's likened to one of the chakras and understanding the, the energetics that, that go along with that energy center really informs the strategy for us as managers and generators. So sacral beings, mm-hmm. we're called. When we understand somatically what it means to respond with our life force and to then invest that life force in a process and receive satisfaction from that process, we're living our strategy. We are using our energy as a tool that is invested that actually creates a return on investment. And that's exactly what nature wants from us, right? Nature's like, okay, I gave you the DNA Mm -hmm. to do this. I made it feel good when you do this. Do this. And yet humans are like, I'm going to do keep doing that <laughs> of like what feels good for memory. And, and as you know, <laughs> social beings as well, we've layered in and we're still in the infancy of this, but we've laid in a lot of emotional complexity and the emotional system mm-hmm. is the nervous system. And so there's so much that can really stand mm-hmm. in the way from a very physiological perspective, as well as a mindset perspective around why we wouldn't naturally listen to our sacral response. And so the human design system provides us with so much understanding and context to what that experience is for each energy type to live with a particular type of socialized conditioning and then understand like how that's impacting the body, how that's impacting the nervous system and then from there, how it's informing our behaviors and our choices. So mm. as many gens, we're often really conditioned to um, do work. You know, we're very efficient people. We can go, go, go. We can do a lot. And we can often move ourselves into socialized roles as individuals where we're doing everything for everyone else and nothing for ourselves. And that's where human design comes in and says, 
Your strategy is way to respond. This is what a response feels like in your body. This is what a response does for your personal energy system. And this is how, when you live from this space, you actually feed into the tribal system of humanity as a whole. And so there's this dual function of keeping you in your own energetic health, but also serving the collective. And that's what I mean about awareness practices and strategy is one of the best ones. In fact, you don't really need anything else in human design besides your strategy and authority. And so even though it's a really fascinating system to dive into the pieces that actually change your life and the pieces you work with day to day are always going to come back to that strategy and authority piece. That was pretty high level though. Please let me know if that all made sense. I kind of went straight. No, I mean, look, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Um, but I like how you, you said in the end there that, you know, the strategy and authority are the most important pieces to have an understanding of. I suppose though, and like us, I'm speaking from my own experience as well. Um, obviously I found human design, it's been a really important part of my journey and one of the best self-awareness tools or, you know, the ways that I've learned about how I make decisions and how I move through the world and all of those kinds of things. And um, you will know that because we've worked together. Um, but, like, it's been a journey and I think it's it's amazing to have awareness. But then how do we, you know, so we know this about ourselves, obviously me as a manager and I know um, what my strategy is. How do I know how to listen to my sacral? What 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 is the process to getting to the point where I actually can listen to my sacral? Mm. Well, that's why I mentioned the piece around the emotional complexities that each of us bring to the table mm. and how that interrelates with our nervous system. Because that's really like mm. the that's the home of our habitual behaviors and actions. And I think what you've said mm. there in terms of like, how can I listen to it is such a critical piece for everyone because it doesn't matter if it's human design or some other system of self-awareness. A lot of the time we hear the self-awareness pieces and we're like, yes, this is the answer. I totally resonate. And then real life comes along. And now <laughs> I'm still, yeah. I'm still reacting when I'm on an emotional high or whatever it is. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's really where the deconditioning process comes in that human design mm. speaks to where it's again, removing and shedding the things that we've learned and adopted. But when I'm working with clients, the thing that I really try to bring it back to is understanding the habitual body. And moving mm. and using this self-awareness piece to gently, gently reorganize that or repattern that. But understanding mm. as well that it's just a habit and that that's a neural pathway, that's a, that's a pathway that exists in your nervous system is so important because you need to give yourself grace. I'm, I'm a fucking imperfect human mm. over here. Like I, I might have been in my human design mm -hmm. experience five years but I frequently do not follow my strategy and authority and I learn so much about myself so even just mm -hmm. having awareness retrospectively brings this whole other dimension to the things that I ultimately extract from life and the lessons that I that I receive but to take it back to a practical first step 
if you can understand what your habitual patterns are versus have and and on the other side at the same time have an awareness of how you could potentially move in a, a more authentic way having even just a, a mental mm-hmm. understanding of what that could look like can be the door that you need that allows you to begin experimenting mm-hmm. with new ways of being and mm-hmm. it really just comes back to mm-hmm. your power of choice and how you empower the power of choice mm-hmm. even in those moments when our reflexes in our body just want to snap that personality back into place and you know we can struggle yeah yeah very true I think it's also just you know starting starting to make different decisions starting to make different choices yeah yeah Mm, definitely I guess you know Uh, like with my personal experience that I wasn't and this is why I felt like the universe pushed me into this trajectory because at some point my experiences in my life got to a a, a tension point where it was I could Mm. not deal with my own bullshit any longer and I a line was drawn in the sand where I was like, I will tolerate my bullshit no more. Um, And that's really been Mm. one of the key things that has allowed me to get to the point of, okay, I have the awareness, I understand my patterns, and I'm sick of this shit. So what am I going to do differently this time? Mm. Using that as a little bit of a jump board. And I think in reality, that's usually how it plays out for us. You you know, very rarely does anyone... Mm. meditate themselves into a big identity shift or a a big change in the way they somatically express I think we've got to we've got to work with the places that life is pushing us towards and I think that will naturally happen when we're living out of alignment as it did for me eventually there's a Mm. pressure that builds Mm. and we go okay I'm gonna listen to this I'm gonna fuck shit up (laughs) which one is it gonna be yeah literally yeah (laughs) Mm. Yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, we do, it is, it is the same for a lot of, or for everyone. I think it just always fascinates me that it takes such a, it usually takes such a big kind of slap in the face, so to speak, (laughs) to, um, to make any significant change. And I think it's like speaking back to, you know, it's this, once, you know, you can't unknow these things. And then I think it just makes it even easier to pick up on these cues and, you know, even the subtle things then, like it might've taken that kind of big shift for you to move into wanting to learn about something like this or connect with, you know, just learn a little bit more about yourself. But then once you do, you start picking up on those subtle cues and it's a lot easier to identify when you are living out of alignment or you've made a decision that's out of alignment or something's just not quite fitting. Yeah, exactly. And that's why self-awareness is something that will accompany or it will herald these tension points that we ultimately experience because once we're aware we can't Mm. bullshit ourselves anymore and we can't ignore it and so the Mm -mm. tension the internal tension point is naturally going to build from there and yeah Mm. that's also Mm. why so many of so much of the time it can be hard to see what we we don't want to see yeah but I mean, so when with human design, when we speak about um, our not self themes, do you think that that in itself is a way to kind of like, so for example, for us, frustration, because I know for me, that is something I've experienced time and time again. 
And until I knew about that, I didn't understand what that meant, you know, for me, that feeling. Um, mm. And the sick, sick of my own bullshit. Yep. <laughs> Feels true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the frustration piece for me. So do you think, um, like, is that the key? Is it like understanding that, for example, within human design, the not self themes for each energy type, and then understand that when we feel that, that is that nudge? Yeah, that's a huge part of it. So in human design, um, for each of the energy types, each type is associated with its signature theme and its not self theme. And the way I like Mm -hmm. to describe these things is that they are a mechanism of our biology that are here to herald when we are investing our energy correctly and sustainably versus Mm. incorrectly or Mm. unsustainably. And so our signature, when you follow your strategy, the idea is in human design, you experience your signature. So for us, for instance, as Manny Jans, when we follow our strategy of way to respond and we invest our life force, when we felt that pull, when we felt that somatic movement towards what it is that we want to get involved with, and we get our hands stuck in and we stay with the process, we feel our signature, which is satisfaction, which is like, oh, yes, it can be challenging. Mm. It can still, it can still, you know, press us, but there's something about it that is so deeply, viscerally satisfying for us. That's our signature is sacral beings. Mm. On the other side of that, we have our not self theme, which is as, as many gens and generators, it's frustration. So I always describe that as a course correcting sort of little red flag from our biology to take notice of. And it's not the case that we want to be like, oh my God, I'm frustrated. I must absolutely stop what I'm doing. It's <laughs> no. And it's it's definitely not something to be used as this no. be like, oh, it feels hard. I'm not, it's no. for me. And I have to say, I really can't stand that rhetoric around human design. It's just like, mm. have fun going nowhere. Like literally have fun going nowhere and doing mm. instead, you know, and when when you think about human evolution and just the wisdom of nature, generally speaking, if we think of frustration as something that's, it's this little gauge in our energy body saying, you're moving into unsustainable territory here. Check yourself in terms of Mm. how you're investing your energy. Sometimes it's not what we're investing Mm. our energy in. It's how we're investing our energy in that process as well. So that's another Mm. one. But you can think about the signature Mm -hmm. in your self as saying sustainable, unsustainable and even if you're experiencing your signature Mm. whilst that's sustainable you're still gonna at some point need rest no matter what energy type you are so Mm. we want to be just having that those feelings having an awareness of how those feelings show up for us in 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 the context of our energy type and begin to work with them in that way um one of the examples i use for times when we might make a conscious decision to enter into our not self um I often think about I and I've told you about this before it's so funny my bless my 75 year old father calling me up several times each week to help <laughs> him with something on his computer and you know if I was some kind of human design puritan I'd be like I don't invest my energy in that because that's frustrating as fuck but mm you know, no, my value system says to me, my personal value system says, okay, maybe I don't need to go share my energy with every Tom, Dick and Harry who asks for help, but this is important to me. And so I'm going to 
consciously yeah. choose to enter into potential frustration territory and challenge myself to just be with that for whatever amount of time because ultimately being there for my dad and 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 loving him as his daughter is just so much more important to me. So there may be lots of instances where we're experiencing our not self and it doesn't mean we're living incorrectly. It's just something that we want to be listening to just as much as we're listening to our, our signature. Yeah, very true. So you've spoken a lot about, you know, how to direct our energy and having awareness of our energy. So I'd love to chat with you about managing our energy and how important that is. I know you and I have spoken about this ourselves um, and energy management being this kind of form of nourishment, which is very important. Um, So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Mm. Well, my personal experience was when I was in my little Saturn return crisis and being like this type A personality, I mean, that's how I identified at the time. I definitely don't identify like that anymore. Mm. Um, but I I was someone who, you know, I did all of the manifestation practices. I did all of the healing. I was constantly, you know, meeting my inner child. I was doing these deep kinesiology sessions. I was breaking into generational mm. curses in my physiology or whatever it was. I was doing all of that work. But ultimately, nothing in my external reality was significantly moving and changing. And what that came back to, or what I now know through retrospect, is that I was not shifting the way I habitually managed my energy off the back of that. I had more self-awareness in my Mm -hmm. relationships. I had, you know, more compassion for myself. I had more self-confidence as a result of all those, those, that healing that I did. But it didn't, you know, and and manifesting in the way that I was sort of doing it, it it was not anything that really shifted my external reality, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of my felt experience. You know, I wasn't experiencing my signature is what I now know. I wasn't experiencing satisfaction. And so Mm. in human design was this like, uh, I guess, this catalyst for understanding how energy management is this dynamic ever-evolving piece of our spiritual physiology that we need to work with just as much as we're working with our physical health. So if I'm going to yoga every day and mm. I'm eating, you know, organic foods and I'm doing these things and it's, it's, a, it's a constant nourishment piece, then that also needs to imp- apply to my personal energy system in totality, not just the inner child, my relationship, trying mm. to manifest a promotion or whatever the fuck space I was in back then. And what I learned, yeah. what I learned was that personal energy management is really about these micro choices that we make. And a lot of those mm. choices aren't actually seen. And a lot of those choices don't result in a physical output of activity a lot of the time it's more of a psychic practice internally that is allowing us to move move things through the body and digest life in a way that's Mm -hmm. healthy and direct our life force in a way that's sustainable, nourishing and healthy. And so I started to get really, I started to zoom in on the thought processes 
on the internal dialogues that I had that were entangled and and meshed with my day-to-day choices. And some of those were so, Mm. so minute and small. And some of them had, you know, really big impacts in terms of eventually, you know, getting to the point where I realized my law career was not sustainable for my personal energy system if I wanted to have a vital personal energy system. So that's that's my little spiel on personal energy management. But if if you like, you know, want a bit more of a specific example, we could dig into something like that. Like if there's been a piece for you that has been alive in your experience of that. No, I mean, I think I think you covered it all. I think for me, obviously, like we've kind of worked through a lot of this and you touched on it, right, when you were speaking about um, the conditioning and the societal imprints that we have. For example, for me as a money gen or just I think also um, as a mum as well, having my own business, all of those sorts of things, you know, trying to do it all, be it all, um, without taking care of my own energy was never going to be sustainable. Um, and, you know, I learned that the hard way, definitely experiencing burnout in my own, in my own way as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important for us to have an idea of how to, or to make contact with the, the ways that we can nourish our energy, the things that can kind of poor or not poor but increase our life force energy to then filter into the things that we're doing and it is those day-to-day choices um and it is also having an awareness of our energy in any given moment and knowing what it is that we need yeah yeah exactly and I think from a really practical perspective if if you are totally new to this lexicon of, of words if if you're like what do you mean by energy management like the first place to start would be where do you feel shit like what's feeling shitty mm. right now like it's usually really obvious in life it's it's a personal interaction that you're having with someone it's someone mm. doing something to you that's like in quotation marks like someone doing something and that affecting you emotionally and there being a whole story around that mm-hmm. um or there's a place where we're constantly feeling exhausted, we're constantly feeling resentful, or feeling guilty. Any of those shitty feelings is the place to start. Why are mm-hmm. they there? That is your mm-hmm. biology speaking to you. And I think the mistake so many of us make when it comes to this personal and, and we sort of bypass personal energy management and energy hygiene practices because we truly believe or we feel in the moment that the feeling of shittiness, whether it's guilt, burnout, stress, Mm -hmm. being emotionally triggered, whatever it is, we believe that that's a result of our external environment. When in reality, Mm. there is an equal interplay between the environment and what is occurring and the way that we're receiving that and what we're making that environment and how we're allowing that environment to infiltrate us and to redirect us. Mm. And what I realized is that, you know, healing and manifestation, that's all great, but the true power comes in being able to redirect my own personal energy system and unsubscribing from Mm. things that are otherwise 
sending me into what I would describe as like energetic debt and draining my life force. And this is a concept I think I first came into contact with through Carolyn Mace's work. So she's, you know, like I said, the goat on in terms of understanding where we, I think one time I, I heard her refer to it as like hemorrhaging energy. And what I really mm. took away from that is it is something we do to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. And I think mm-hmm. 99% of the time, it's something we're doing to ourselves. So when we begin to shift the way we relate to our personal energy system, and this is where human design for me is so pivotal because it's literally a sort of um, an anatomical sort of map of human energetics. And when I can run it through that system Mm -hmm. and increase my awareness of myself and actually question the belief systems that I hold, as in um, my partner, Harry, like he he could do something. He could be like, I'm going to go fishing again. And I'm like, that motherfucker never wants to spend time with me. Whatever the story (laughs) is, Um, you know, five days Mm -hmm. ago, I went fishing and he promised like whatever fucking bullshit that my, you know, anxious uh, avoiding attachment mind yep. will throw up um and realizing that I am the creator of that and that is me just mm-hmm. energy through my own personal energy system right into the wounds and how could I redirect that and zoom out a little bit and realize that oh my god I want to be in a relationship with an independent human being who is also a sacral being who wants to do things that he loves. And this is literally meaning nothing mm-hmm. about our relationship. And you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, Grizzly, or whatever human <laughs> being, right? So yeah, that is to me has Absolutely. been a powerful thing. This is big because what I've realized like for my for myself and my own experience is this thing that you've spoken to which is like taking responsibility i think we like often don't want to do that or we don't want to you know we don't want to believe they'll actually be playing like a big part in it as well um and that's been huge for me um yeah that's been massive for me and honestly it's like quite liberating when you when you go, oh, actually, I've played a big part in this or I've made this mean something that it really didn't. And then you can kind of refine things and shift things and it's very empowering, it's I think, extreme. anyway. That's been my experience. Yeah, yeah, it's extremely mm-hmm. empowering and I think it's it's what makes or breaks a happy, healthy life. Mm-hmm. Truly. You, you could have mm-hmm. everything, you could be incarnated, an heiress, you know, everything handed to you, loving family. You could literally be, you could be incarnated with all of the, all of the things and you could suffer. You could suffer from the day that Mm. you're aware until the day that you die. If you don't Mm. learn how to direct your personal energy system. The other thing though, Mm. is that, you know, it doesn't matter how like consciously you were raised in my experience, no one is immune to this. Because it's just simply not prevalent in our socialization process. We're not taught it at school. Mm-hmm. We're not taught it at home to the degree that we're really, we need to be taught it in terms of this autonomy, mm-hmm. this higher awareness of why people do what they do. And so all of us were raised mm-hmm. to take things personally. 
our our whole system is sort mm. of set up to to continue on with that narrative and you know we go and we decompress with our friends and we tell our friends how we feel and that's something which is so important because we need to we need to process our emotions we need to share how it is and there's something mm-hmm. i really believe about humans is that we need to be witnessed we need to be witnessed sometimes mm. to actually be able to move energy i think that's something we've always known about ourselves and there's so many traditions that reflect that mm-hmm. but if we then go and share with someone and that person has been socialized to validate what it is that we're experiencing there's a very there's a subtle piece that gets missed and that subtlety is are they validating you in your experience or are they validating your interpretation of the events and the mm. events themselves mm-hmm. and therefore feeding into your mythology mm-hmm. and feeding into your story and I see this all the time. I, I see my I see my friends do it. I see I see people. I do it. We all do it. Mm. I I will catch myself mm. doing it. Yeah, and that's that's the yeah. piece that we have to sort of disentangle. And human design and other awareness systems and all of these these cool things that we can now access at our fingertips on the internet mm. through podcasts um, is something that we have to sort of go okay. I have to do a little bit of unlearning and relearning here. And when I do, mm. it'll a whole new power of possibility. Um, as well as just like you said, it's it's personally liberating. Because you go, oh my God, my life is not that bad. Mm. I just created this story or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And just and speaking to what you said with the, you know, if you're speaking to a friend who validates, I think sometimes we we don't realize but we will consciously seek out the person who will give us what we feel we need in the moment as well I see that a lot I've seen myself do that too yeah Um, Yeah. so yeah I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's a big one Mm. it's a big one massive something something Um, you've spoken oh Oh, sorry sorry. (laughs) a little bit of a lag no no you go I was just going to say on that um because it felt sort of very much so interrelated is something I'm always questioning in myself is how can I be more lovingly honest and being Mm. honest with myself is where I began and and living in like radical honesty Mm. and like trust me the ego doesn't like that at first like the ego hates it but as I Mm -mm. gave evidence of that liberation piece that you just spoke to it's it's given me more confidence and more empowerment to continue to be honest with myself. And then that's filtered out into mm. my relationships. I think I've always been a pretty, I mean, I'm an emotionally defined person in human design. I have, I think, the gate of provocation three times. I'm a pretty direct person, but I'm always conscientious of my own conditioning. Mm. And I think, how can I be more lovingly honest when my friends come to me and they share something like that? And how can I hold space? And mm. of course, I'm also like a mentor and a coach. And, and that's something that, you know, in my in my business is of ut- ut- utmost importance to me in terms of the service I'm delivering. Mm-hmm. But even more than that, that's the type of person I want to be. I want to be someone who's not perpetuating mm. someone else's illusion because it can be really detrimental and damaging. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are going around and doing mm-hmm. that and I've definitely done it in the past. And it's it's always destructive 
in the end. It, it, it truly mm. is. And in the end. Yeah. Something I want to be aware of. Yep. Yep. I love that so much. So we've spoken a lot about um, deconditioning and kind of untangling a little bit from those those imprints. Um, I wondered if you could kind of speak to the reconditioning piece. Like what does that look like? What did that look like for you? Um, yeah, I'd love you to speak to that. Yeah, so I, I love I love this. Um, when I first, I mean, human design has evolved even in the last few years, which is so cool um, as more people sort of learn about the system and we, we explore it more in depth. But when I first came into human design, what I kept seeing was a lot of rhetoric around deconditioning and, you know, don't be mm-hmm. who they told you to be, be who you really are sort of messaging. And the way I would see that translated into practice was where people sort of dropping a lot of things and canceling a lot of things out of their life and saying, I quit my job. Yay. Like, or whatever it is, or I'm not hanging out with that person who drains mm-hmm. me anymore. And you know, they're out of my lives. And yeah, something about that to me is always like, that's not, no, no, I don't. I'm all for saying mm. no, but it's not aligned. And I'm all for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. having healthy boundaries. If someone's not a healthy relationship for you and I'm all for leaving that job, but that can't be the answer. Like that, that's not going to get you very far. Mm. That will create space in mm-hmm. your life, but eventually just saying no to the things that are quote unquote out of alignment is not going to create an aligned Mm -hmm. life when your habitual body has not been living an aligned life up until this moment. So reconditioning Mm -hmm. is about Mm -hmm. actually this experimenting piece where we have to try on these new identities and we have to entice our nervous systems into believing that it is safe for us to be our authentic selves. And sometimes mm-hmm. our authentic selves are going to ask us to grow into a version of ourselves that we haven't actually met yet. And so for me, you know, when I left law and I um, was like, okay, I'm going to start this business. This is, this is happening, which it, it wasn't really planned like that. Again, it was like the universe pushed it into my face and I was like, well, shit, this is what's happening. But when I first left law, <laughs> I did expect that that was going to solve all of my problems sort of thing that I I felt like leaving this law career, this was all of my problems. This is, you know, walking away. Well, no, no, I had a burnt out body. My, you know, nervous system was fucking fried. I had been living this identity that wasn't truly me. And so I had to recondition my body back into safety in being really authentic as who I am, as well as learn new ways to work. You know, as a sacral being, I experienced my my signature satisfaction through work. And I hated work at that point. I was like, I want to lay on a beach for six months straight and do fucking nothing. Like that was, and I sort of did that during the pandemic mm-hmm. a little bit, a lot. And it was amazing. But eventually my my authentic, my deepest like signature self was pining for a more creative existence. And even though I knew that that creativity was intrinsic within me, my body didn't know how to live as that person day to day. 
I had to recondition myself back into, and this is where, you know, I think the word that we want to use is self-discipline, but it's more than that. It's, it's about bringing the body back into a new, a new habitual way of being. And it's not about doing it because it's a rule. It's about creating a new habit. And that for me has been really pivotal in my journey, but every single client that I've ever worked with, deconditioning is not enough. We have to recondition you as well. And that's the experiment. Yeah. And that takes time. And that also does not just like snap your fingers and feel good straight away. Like there can be a lot of resistance. Like you were talking about lying on the beach for six hours a day. Obviously I have three children, so that just doesn't feel like my, you know, my reality. It sounds delightful, but I think if I had for me, like had gone, you know, Oh, I'll just go lie. That'll, that'll solve all my problems. I'll go lie on the beach all day. I would have a thousand and one things playing in my head about why that was not a good option or why that doesn't feel good or why I shouldn't do that. Or so it's a process. And I, I love what you said about experimenting with it because yeah, it's not going to feel fantastic straight away. Um, and a lot of it will feel, I think from my experience anyway, quite uncomfortable. Um, but necessary. Yeah. It's one of the fallacies of this alignment culture that we have where, it's like, mm. you know, do what lights you up. And it's like, that's it. And it's like, that's easy. Um, and if you, if it doesn't light you up, it's not correct. And you can trust the universe. It's like, fuck no. Like we are mm. like, having you- a human experience here, guys. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and of course, as well, like, you know, what is, what is your contextualized understanding of discomfort at this point? Because there's so mm. many examples of, healthy friction in nature there's so many mm-hmm. examples of mm-hmm. things and 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 creativity being something that arrives on the other side of some kind of cataclysm or initiation or transition or growth phase and so mm-hmm. i think that this rhetoric around alignment culture and it always feeling good and i want to have a flowy business and you know i have a very mm-hmm. flowy business and i'm constantly mm-hmm. challenged myself and moving through deep discomfort and I'm I can genuinely say I'd much prefer that over the discomfort of staying the same and living the way I was we can't use alignment culture Mm -hmm. or human design or anything like that to bypass growth if we do we'll again Mm -mm. have fun staying staying right where you are (laughs) it'll be a loop it'll be a loop yeah it's just you'll just keep going around and around yeah. yeah. And look, I mean, we know this, well, maybe we don't all know this, but at least, you know, I feel like I know that like discomfort does not, I mean, sorry, growth does not come from when you are, you know, just cruising along <laughs> that yeah. is, and everything's fine and dandy. Like the real, the real growth happens and the real learnings all happen through some kind of discomfort or as you said, initiation or, and just being able to kind of meet that and go, okay, this is here, this is here, I've, there's something in this for me, you know, yeah, which isn't yeah. always easy to do. And like you were saying before, the ego has a way of telling us no. Yeah. But I'm just glad you brought up this whole, you know, the concept of the alignment culture because, yeah, ultimately we are having a human experience which is filled with both both light and dark, 
good times and bad, brutal and beautiful. And, you know, that is, it's, that is what it is. You know, we are going to experience both. A hundred percent. And energy alignment and taking care of our personal energy system the whole point of doing that should be to increase our vitality and therefore our resiliency so that we can be mm. totally equipped and resourced when we move into those phases of inevitable discomfort mm. and we can meet them with our full potential and we can, you know, we, we'll, we'll sink mm-hmm. or swim. And if we sink, we learn something, <laughs> you know, and if, and if we swim, mm-hmm. amazing, moving on, but there's some, something there for us either way when we're really resilient and when our energy bank account is full Mm. and we live regeneratively, meaning we have the capacity to get knocked down and get back up and we're totally okay because we Mm -hmm. are fully formed humans with this, this whole system Mm -hmm. in place, then that's what is ultimately going to allow us to grow. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I feel like I'm living proof of this. You are. Um, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know what your um. What's the word I'm looking for? How would you describe vitality? What does that mean for you? What does that look like for you when you are feeling your most vital? Mm. And what is it that you kind of implement in your life to fuel that? Mm, I love this question. I I would define vitality or living in vitality as living in truth. Truth is mm. the key word there. Um, I think a lot of the time we associate vitality with feeling, you know, super energetically overflowing, which of course that should be our, you know, we want that to be our baseline. But I think the reality of life is that there's, many seasons that are going to challenge us and there are many things that are totally Mm -hmm. outside of our control as well which is why again we need our personal energy system actually spending energy on things that are real because there's some real challenging things out Mm -hmm. in life and our stories our imagination is not helpful when it comes to navigating that so if we're living in truth it means that we have a capacity to move with the season that we're in and we're letting ourselves be in that season and we're taking care of our needs as they arise in that season and so if we move through a season of change then in that season of change then vitality just looks like the truth of that moment and some moments that might mean surrender and 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 having a a moment with myself to say, okay, Grizzly, you need to surrender to this. Like you are draining energy out of your bank account, resisting, chucking a little hissy fit, bratty like moment, trying to resist this change and accept <laughs> and getting angry and blaming it's someone else's fault. You know, blame is a big one. Like like mm-hmm. if you know you're blaming mm-hmm. someone else, then then it's um, definitely a big energy drain. So. Honoring the truth of the moment is is what it is for me because as well being an emotionally defined person, I'm someone, so my solar plexus is defined in my chart. That means I'm an emotional being. Um, then what that means is that I innately experience life through this intense spectrum of hope to pain. And so when I'm doing that, I'm not going to feel on top of the world and bursting with energy 
when I'm at the bottom of, of, mm. of my leg. It's not my physical lived experience. It's not my reality. And so being with the truth of that and accepting that and identifying the truths that, that are there for me personally, as opposed to stories that I may be telling myself in that moment is the key to vitality. And it allows me to digest life and see life with clarity that is always feeding into my decisions and the choices that I make. I love that so much. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could talk about that for a day. Um, (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot to take. I think, you know, I see this like current, uh, current, this um, reoccurring kind of theme in a couple of other conversations I've had as well. And it is that obviously there, you know, surrender, um, but it is just an acceptance of where you're at. And I think that's why I started our conversation with asking like, what season of life are you in? Because we have to, I think it's very important for us to understand that and accept the season of life that we're in. and what's happening for us and that then filters into all of the decisions we make and yeah so I really love that I think that's absolutely key yeah so this podcast is obviously titled A Nourished Woman and I want to know what that looks like for you what is what is nourishing for you and you can go as kind Mm -hmm. of practical and grassroot level as you like but yeah what is what is particularly nourishing for you? I want to say the number one thing is play. Play is nourishing. Mm. And anything that is associated with the energetics of play, which I would say I would mm. describe as including anything that allows me to not take myself too seriously, anything that allows me to explore new horizons, Anything that allows me to be creative and present in the moment, Mm -hmm. anything that feels like play, Mm -hmm. that's, that is to me, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a manny-gen, that's, that's a very typical manny-gen thing to say, I think, but things that feel playful, that is the shit to me. And that could Mm -hmm. be through connection, that could be through work, that could be through the things that I preoccupy myself with, um, And I can experience Mm -hmm. moments of play, I think, you know, and I've had to learn to experience them even when I am at sort of Mm. a a more melancholy state. It's it's this, I can just be with this. Who knows where this is going to go? Let's just go on this ride. Let's just be a little bit more curious. When I can get into that energy for myself and, and, and do a little bit of like ego dissolution work there because... I'm a Leo. I have a Leo South node. I'm also Leo MC. Um, I just think that like there's this bratty ego part of my shadow self that will write my stories. And I, I try to do things to neutralize that part of myself and not taking myself seriously <laughs> is the key, is the key to that. Yeah. I love that. I also love that because I think I may be generalizing, but I think it's quite hard for women to connect to a playful side of themselves. Mm. Um, I certainly have experienced that, like absolutely, even having kids, like finding it really difficult to kind of engage in play um, even with them. But I suppose 
when you're younger, play looks a certain way. Um, obviously being with your friends a lot and things like that, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know, as we get older and I think even potentially as we become mothers or, you know, have a relationship or a business or, you know, whatever it might be, it's just very hard for us to connect with that side of ourselves. Um, so I really love that. And I love that that's really important to you. I just think it's the, condi- it's the conditioning piece again, isn't it? It's sort of like, you know, we've got to be a grown up and like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and we do, we end up taking things far too seriously. Mm. And what I've really learned through my own business is that it's just so counterproductive. It's, it's extremely limiting. Mm. It's, it constrains mm. our creativity. It constrains our innovation. It constrains our self leadership, um, and it it mm-hmm. keeps us in those socialized behaviors. Because you know, when I was this Miss Goody Two Shoes, I'm going to be a senior associate by the end of the year, sort of thing. I was really fixated on that external metric of getting a promotion or mm. whatever it was, or hitting some income level, and Again, that just kept me outside of my true identity or or locked out of my true identity. So play for me is something that I try to associate more as an internal feeling in myself in terms of Mm. how I'm using my energy Mm -hmm. as opposed to the tasks that I'm doing. Um, Because sometimes I'm in playful energy and I am actually in a workflow and I'm I'm still focused, Mm. but I'm keeping that playful side that's mm. like fuck and this is what I say literally every day to people if, if anyone has ever like been in my space I talk about this a lot but literally like the way I like to talk to myself is the aliens are gonna land soon it's like life is fucking short <laughs> god knows how much time you have like you're a pretty gumby person Greer. Mm-hmm. like who knows what kind of accident you're gonna have mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know at any moment so what would it feel like to just just take life a little less seriously. It's it's something that is the ultimate medicine. Mm. I haven't been able to find anything more nourishing than mm. that. Mm. It's like just joyful. It's like it pure is. joy. It is. Yeah, yeah, which is so important. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've definitely covered a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to speak about... I think I wanted, you mentioned earlier that you, you made a big move. And so I'm not sure whether you actually knew anyone previous to moving or whether you've built, you know, your kind of your community up there around you since moving. Um, but I'd love to know, because I think, well, obviously we know that kind of connection and community is so important for us. And I'd love to know what your experience has been like making the move and kind of building your community up there and what that looks like for you. Because I know that's a big value of yours is, you know, being able to spend time with all the people that you love. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love this. Um, so again, it was one of those things that when you, you, you appreciate it when you don't have it. Right. So I, mm. um, I'm, I currently live in Ellie beach, which is the hometown. Well, I actually grew up in the snowy mountains until I was 10 years old. So I lived in the snow. And then when my parents divorced, we moved up here to Ellie Beach when I was about, I think I was 10 or 11. And so I went to high school here and grew up in this small community. Mm. And I had 
very, very, very close friends here and always came home to early, you know, on uni breaks, on at Christmas time, the community's here. My parents are still here. I was, I was always connected to it. And when I eventually went to uni okay. and all of those things, half of us all moved together down to Brisbane to go to uni together. So we, we, we do have something special that I think is, um, you know, that's specific to the location that I grew up in and the, the people who are here. I, I do mm-hmm. see that as like a, a very, it's like winning the lottery sort of thing. But mm-hmm. when I, you know, got further into my career, I ended up taking a job at a national law firm in Newcastle and I was working between Newcastle and Sydney. Mm-hmm. And when I moved to Newcastle, I knew absolutely no one except my partner at the time. And for three years, I was trying desperately to find my community. And I had some beautiful friends there, but Mm -hmm. the community was never there. And I think I had this benchmark of what I'd grown up with. And so I was like, okay, this Mm -hmm. is not okay. Like this is, I feel like Tilikum, the Orkham whale that has been placed in the tank. Like I am not okay. (laughs) I can't, I have lived with Mm -hmm. you. I can't not. And it was it was fucked. Mm. It was a fucked experience. I hated it. And it made me mm-hmm. not enjoy my time in Newcastle. So as well that, you know, really exacerbated my um, burnout because I was doing nothing but working a lot of the time. Yeah. So yeah. Eventually when I had this sort of shattering moment and I left the job and I left the relationship and I moved back to Brisbane, um, and and all of those things fell away at the end of my Saturn return. It was such, it was seared into my soul. <laughs> it was seared into my soul. It was like, I need my community. I'm never fucking doing that again. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much money or what job it is. Or there were, it was just so reflected in my reality that this was a non-negotiable value of mine. And so I'm really grateful for that mm-hmm. lesson and having that. Um, and then I moved home and you know, of course, the people who are here now and the people who are in my community, I haven't known all of them my whole life, but a lot of them mm. I have known since I was 14 and they're friends who really Amazing. are family. And so mm. when I'm here now, we are so deeply connected because all of us sort of had the same experience of moving. We've all traveled away and then sort of come back and been like, Oh my God, it's so good. here!" Like, yeah. You don't realize the community you have. <laughs> um, and I think something I'm really grateful for is that everyone fosters it. Everyone treats it as sacred. No mm. one takes it for granted. And we have people who are part of our, um, you know, friendship group now that did not, you know, grow here, like grow up here. Um, and they mm. always like back to us, this is such a special thing. And so we mm. we put love there. And, you know, half our friends have kids. Most of us have fur babies. And, you know, it's an evolving community, but we know it's precious. We know it's precious and we treat it like mm. that. It's also something that I believe so deeply because of the experience that I had that it is absolutely critical as a human need. And if we don't have community Mm -hmm. in our lives, we can't be healthy and happy and functioning in the same way that we would otherwise. And Mm -hmm. 
I think about Blackfish, I think about that documentary and I think about how that whale went crazy mm. when you put it in captivity and you put it in isolation. And I just think none of us are designed for that. And on the other side of the pandemic, I, you know, I've encountered a lot of this in friends and family who live away um, and in my clients. And it's, it's something that I think we have to battle it. We, we actually have to consciously go, this is not all right. And it's not okay mm-hmm. that our society normalizes this. And I'm going to sit here and go, mm-hmm. Fuck, no, like if you are not happy where you're living, please, please think about the options mm-hmm. you have to create a better life for yourself mm-hmm. and to find a different community because that's the bedrock of your ability to be happy in this life and nourished. Mm-hmm. And I think it's absolutely. It's like a human right that we, you know, a very privileged, you know, speaking from this privileged position of being someone who grew up in Australia mm-hmm. um, and in the small town that I did, it's a privileged position to be in, but it is also critical for every single human being to be mm-hmm. supported and connected by some form of community, whether it's your neighbours, you know, whether it's community, at least online. Um, but in some way, shape, or form, we just we need each other. We all we all really need each other. Mm-hmm. No one's exempt. Mm-hmm. Definitely, no. And I, but I think it's also important. Like you know, I I find that community it seems so much easier to foster in small towns. You know, you were speaking about like how sacred you all feel about your community, and I feel like that is something that's kind of it's definitely more of a small town thing. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist elsewhere. I, it, I acknowledge it does. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just thinking, I was actually thinking about that today because we was speaking about where I grew up and um, yeah. So it just, it definitely seems like it is something that is, I don't know, maybe held with a little bit more importance in a small, in a small town, I should say, um, than in a big city. I also think, that, you know, as we kind of move through our life and, you know, for example, make contact with some of, you know, this and learn more about ourselves and make contact with these self-awareness tools, we can find that some relationships, you know, and as we are living more authentically, we can find that some relationships do start to kind of drop off or, you know, and but that can also be, I think, quite hard for some people to navigate. Um, yeah, I was thinking a lot about that as well. And just that the key here is, I think, is to show up in your relationships authentically so that you do know, like, who are your real people. And it is a quality over quantity thing, I think. Yeah. If you're being yourself Mm -hmm. and you're loving yourself as yourself, you're teaching other people how to do the same. And that's going to be mirrored in your relationships. Mm -hmm deeply believe that and something I see more often in at least my experience working with clients um and just people in my life is that it can be really easy to develop a spiritual ego that actually has the opposite effect (laughs) in bringing in Mm. and I see this a lot where you know people are developing their self-awareness um, they're going through a transformation and all of a sudden 
they're noticing what other people are doing really crystal clear. And it's just this like mm. laser focus on mm-hmm. they're not living in alignment. They're not living their truth. I can't be around them. They don't see me. Mm-hmm. They don't respect what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. They don't honor my boundaries, which is one of my fucking, I hate when people say that. I'm like, I'm sorry. If you need other people to honor your boundaries, you're not, you don't have boundaries. Yeah. Like, obviously it's your choice. No. Like, but so I yes. see this a lot and I think I I would mu- I would much prefer or encourage people much, to do that and and say okay I'm starting to feel a disparity what am I making this mean what story am I constructing mm. out of because I really believe the higher self path is to stay in your lane and clear up your side of the street mm. and notice how people start to mm-hmm. change interactions with you as you show up to life in a different way and if you if your Mm -hmm. self-development is contingent upon someone else recognizing your self-development or someone else meeting you in the same way as your own self-development when I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I'm gonna like burst your little bubble and say this is not self-development this is you creating another ego identity around your spirituality and I see people um I see people walk away from relationships, which I think you didn't, you didn't need to do that. Or that wasn't based on truth. Um, I myself Mm. get in my spiritual ego about things a lot. I'm like, I have this higher awareness. Mm -hmm. I understand this. And it can, it, it, the ego is such a little shady bitch sometimes. Like she can really launch a campaign. And so we, we just have to be aware of that aspect of our humanity and, Mm something I find really fucking healthy for me and really, really nourishing is the fact that a lot of my friends and family in my personal life, they have very little idea of what I do in my business. I'm just grisly to them. You know, of course there's like dynamics in in the way I interrelate with people that like I'm, I'm me who I am, but I don't need anyone else to be subscribing. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck if, half my friends don't even believe in human design. I'm like, cool. That's, I totally respect your autonomy. It doesn't mean anything about what I believe. It doesn't affect how I feel about myself. Yeah. So I would like to encourage more of that in the spiritual community. I think sometimes we can like segregate ourselves Mm -hmm. and we're only talking to Mm -hmm. other people who speak this language sometimes. And it's like, let's humble ourselves a little bit over here because the real test Mm -hmm. of spiritual development is how well you handle people who are not speaking that language and not yeah if spirituality if your higher self is contingent upon you being handled in a particular way then you have more work to do myself included myself included Mm. in all of that so definitely um, yeah Yeah, definitely and I think also it goes the other way too where it's like we can have different experiences with different people we can take things I don't mean actually take things but you know what I mean like there are certain people we love to spend time with because yeah we can be in our playful energy with them and then there are other people that we might connect with who we can really go deep with and like you know like talk about all of the things you know so I think it's that too it's like recognizing 
we're not going to get everything from everyone. Obviously, this is big, I think, with intimate relationships because we kind of have this expectation that we're going to have everything we need from this one <laughs> this one poor person. And, oh, you know, yeah. that's not the reality. There are many, many things that we can get from all of the different, you know. And I find this as well really important in obviously like my day-to-day life, my friends, my family, the people I'm connecting with in person, my in-person community, but also the people that um, I, or the community I've built around me within my business too, and just how helpful that has been. Um, And I know that you and I have spoken about obviously support and like how important it is and to, um, build these co-creative relationships within our you know business and work life as well yeah yeah I'm so glad you mentioned that because you're right there is this the on the flip side of that we 100% need to foster that that co-creative space and to feel support so I think Mm -hmm. the key thing there is we get to curate that and we get to consciously engage in Mm -hmm. that and particularly when it comes to our businesses Mm -hmm. and our art and the work that we're sharing with the world, Mm. I think that gets to be its own little sanctuary. And one of the things I love most Mm. about being a creative entrepreneur is that when I am in this space, I mean, I'm having a conversation like this with you, like, this is amazing. I get all of my, um, you know, these sorts of needs met in this space. Um, And then outside of Mm. that, having the receptivity to be able to receive other things from other people. I love that you said that absolutely love that yeah. so true yeah. um in terms of the unique experience of being a creative entrepreneur as well you know you know it can be so lonely you've got you're kind of wearing both of these mm. sort of isolating archetypes the artist and the the business owner yeah. or the ceo they can both feel like very mm. lonely journeys and there's certain experiences mm-hmm. that you have in that space which other people are not going to even have any idea as to what you're you're talking about. And and if we are going mm. to go on this journey, having really great support and people we can talk to and get out of our own heads and, you know, receive some encouragement and, and collaborate with and all of those things, I just think it's so important. And I had to I had to open myself up to that in the beginning. I was really resistant to receiving help when it came to my art particularly um Aquarius moon Mm. will definition I was like no one even come near this like I did not even want to talk to you like it was very vulnerable what that that, that, that was obviously enmeshed Mm. which is why I now speak to this what I call the separation of powers which is having this sort of energetic sovereignty between your relationship with yourself as a leader your relationship with your art as an artist, your relationship with your business as a CEO and keeping those powers separate so that you can actually fulfill their potential without getting things enmeshed and entangled. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're all human and we all have moments where we have self-doubt and we all have moments where we just sit there like spiraling or we have moments where we go down and follow a red herring and it's totally not what we thought and we confuse ourselves and get turned around and we need someone else to be coming in here and delivering some truth bombs and recontextualizing the experience for us like we I, I believe deeply that we yeah. all and nowhere more so than in this space of creative entrepreneurship 
for that reason. So yeah, I, I love mm. that you mentioned that co-creative element. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like, well, I don't feel like I know one of the ways that um, I love to create art is in, you know, cooking and preparing delicious meals. <laughs> oh I think God. they are. My kids don't always. My kids don't always. Honestly, if they were the judge judges of my art, <laughs> they would be one of my harshest critics. They um, grow out. What is your relationship? Because you know, no, I hope they. Well, I hope they do. Um, I wanted to ask because you know I'm always going to come back to the food and so I want to know like what is your relationship with with food and you know is that something like do you love to cook are you you know do you prioritize eating organic or anything like that like what do you what is your relationship to to all of that I think like every other millennial in my 20s I was just a fucking bitch to my body. I was a nasty bitch. Mm -hmm. I was so mean to myself. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> constantly, I mean, I would like always just like obsessive over, I need to lose a few kilos. I need to exercise mm. was always associated with this energy of obligation, never joy. I never associated exercise. Mm. I only associated it with obligation. And then coupled with that food was something that was just a source of constant um, control, worry. And mm. it's really interesting for me as I've moved into my human design experiment and I've entered into this commitment to live in truth and to nourish, actively nourish my personal energy system. And going back to what we were saying in the beginning about mm -hmm identifying the inner dialogue that we have and taking responsibility for how we're contributing to that dialogue and how that dialogue is directly informing our choices. So when I went into that yeah. space and I started to get honest with myself, I realized that I was absolutely not nourishing myself, no matter what organic food I ate or how many power yoga classes I did. It wasn't, it wasn't nourishment. Um, and something eventually switched inside me where as I shifted this relationship with myself and I, for want of a better expression, learned to love myself. I, I learned to truly love mm -hmm. my experience of being an imperfect human and starting to treat it as really precious and mm -hmm. bringing this energy of gratitude into my body. As I shifted all of these little pieces over time, food, my relationship with food has totally changed. I mean, I used to get to the end of every day and be like, what did I eat today? What am I going to eat tomorrow? How am I going to be better? Like, how am I going to be better? It's, it's, yeah. it's so toxic. Yeah. And, you know, you might have met me and not thought that from the outside. So I'm being brutally honest here. Like, that's really what was mm. going on internally. And I think for so many of us, it is. Um, to versus now, it's such an intuitive feeling. And, and food is 100% connected mm. with joy, but it's not really, mm. it's not something I do to feel good. Amen. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I don't eat to feel good now. 
I just have a relationship where I appreciate the nourishment and I'm conscious about the nourishment Mm. and that feels really good. And having this freedom Mm. to be really present in my body and to not be working on someone else's time schedule and stuck in a air conditioned office under fluorescent lighting and to be able to move when I want to move or whatever, you know, the, the privileges that come along with that helped me as well to get more present into my body and to begin making choices. So now, and and since entering into my human design experiment, I honest to God can say hand on my heart, I eat more than I ever did when I was in my twenties, but I shed, I I went down like a whole size Um, over the last few years. I've, I've, I would say like consistently, maybe like, I don't know how many kilos, but my, I went down a whole dress size yeah and I eat more and it's because I'm eating things Mm. and at times and the things that I'm eating is it's all intuitive Mm. and it's all moving with the needs Mm. of my body and my body is different every single day Mm. and it's different week to week obviously Mm -hmm. as a woman as well yeah and so it's more just living Mm -hmm. in a symbiotic relationship with with nourishment and for it being Mm -hmm. something that is receptive and dynamic as opposed to um a reduction a a reduction of some kind of rule system and a belief system around what I can and cannot um but outside of that Mm -hmm. I do only I try to only eat organic you know or when we go grocery shopping it's all organic um and then Mm. on the weekends give me a bloody steak and fries at the pub like my absolute favorite Mm. and I never and I love gelato and I love cheese I love cheese yes oh my god yes you're speaking my language (laughs) story every time you take a photo of your food I'm like dear lord help me and that's why I said your children (laughs) they're gonna be like our mom's the best cook and you'll be like that you'll get the praise yeah all these years I know you will but um yeah it's it's probably you know it's some it's okay this it's one of those achievements where people love to say to me oh my god you were a litigation lawyer like that's amazing or you've started your own business that's amazing Mm. on a personal level getting to this place with my body and with food and with how I feel about myself is my greatest achievement I've ever Mm -hmm. apart from maintaining and developing healthy relationships and cutting out a lot of my own bullshit that I inherited through, um, you know, broken yeah. family systems and all of that. Like, I'm very proud of that as well. But I think this is something that outside of how we look, just the feeling, I wish there was some way I could visually express the feeling on the inside because that's mm-hmm. that's real nourishment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that resonates so deeply with me. <laughs> I can't even explain. I feel exactly the same way. I feel exactly the same way. And I think, I think obviously we're so overwhelmed with all the different options of things we can and should. And, you know, as we, as we learn more and, you know, and obviously we want to be conscious of some things, but intuitive eating, that is where it's at. And the ability to tune into your body and to know your satiation cues, to know when you're actually full, to be mindfully eating like, it's 
it is everything and it makes a huge difference I think to not only the way you are digesting your food but also the way you are therefore you know digesting your life and moving through your life and yeah it's been massive massive for me but I think or I know that it is difficult for a lot of people I don't even think it's specific to women but a lot of people to understand those cues or to you know because they're like you know, in survival mode or, you know, they don't have that relationship with food. They don't have the relationship or the joy, you know, for, um, for cooking and preparing food. They're too busy, all of these things, you know, so that is key, obviously being in a place where you can. Um, and I think, you know, human design definitely helps you get there. Absolutely. I believe that. I love what you said there about like knowing your satiation cues and, and how that does affect the way, you know, you digest food literally, but also life. I think that's really, Mm -hmm. that's really profound. And honestly, like probably if, if you were trying to, if you did one thing in your life and you just did that, it would totally change your life. And I, I wish there was a way to convey that but it is such an in inside mm. job like you said um and yeah, i think absolutely. at a wider level our society systemically keeps us in a place where we are disconnected from our bodies and that begins early on mm. and it is yeah. reinforced and we might say we've come a long way with body positivity or whatever that is about but Mm -hmm. take a look on social media like what are the images that are getting circulated you know how is this what Mm -hmm. is bombarding our senses every day and what are we having to face in terms of active actively unsubscribing from those belief systems Mm -hmm. I mean I absolutely can't imagine what it would be like to be a 16 year old growing up with access to Instagram and social Mm -hmm. media I think I was in that very final year where I got Facebook my first year out of school in 2007. <laughs> so, you know, I, I made yeah. it through high school and adolescence without social media. And, you know, how lucky were we to have that? And there's new challenges yeah. that we're now facing. Yeah. And I, I just think it's an important part because the thing that comes along with this whole intuitive eating piece is that we blame ourselves for not being that like that in the first place. And that was my experience Mm -hmm. when I was in my early 20s when I said I was a nasty bitch to myself and how I would speak to myself internally because I really believed it was my failure so deeply. And no, Mm -hmm. that's not true. I had the ability to fix it for myself, but I didn't create that conditioning imprint. I didn't you know, fuck up my mm-hmm. gut health with processed foods, like knowing that they were bad for me when I was younger or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. you do have to acknowledge the role that the system and society has in that in terms of self-compassion, because otherwise we won't even get to the place of self-understanding to then explore with intuitive eating. We really have to neutralize that blame piece. Absolutely. I think, and that goes, and that, yeah, and that goes across a lot of different facets of our life as well, not just food and exercise. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Self compassion is huge. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've, um, 
I've taken up so much of your time. I so appreciate it. I do have one fun final question. And that is what, if you could eat one thing, this is difficult, I know, but if you could pick one thing to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my God. That's so hard for me because my whole thing is that I guess <laughs> I can eat like, uh, like, yeah, same. <laughs> oh, same. But I, I went with something very nostalgic. For me, it has to be like I have this intense lineage of like amazing cooks in my life. Well, some in my life and some now gone, unfortunately. And um. Yeah, for me, it is the the Sunday roast. It is the coming together. It's the family. It's, yeah, for me, it's more than just the actual food, which is always delicious. Gravy from scratch. You cannot beat it. Oh, my God. Any kind of meat as a roast. Like, I swear to you, I used to drink my mum and my nanny's gravy. Like, I could drink it. I could eat nothing else. Um, But for me, it's a Sunday roast because, yeah, what was that? Oh, I was like, I can't wait to taste your Sunday roast. Like, I need, I need to be at one of these. <laughs> yeah, I you do. I you do. I um, I would probably. I mean, if I was just thinking about the food part, I love that you've brought it back to the coming together because that that social piece around food is mm-hmm. super important to me as well. I hate eating alone. Yeah, I you know I'll, I'll yeah. I'm, razor alone but when it comes to sitting down for a big meal I want all my people I want conversation um so yes I'm high sound that's probably why but yeah so I think I'd probably say something similar in terms of like some kind of slow cooked meat I, I love red meat I love lamb yeah. slow cooked lamb shanks I, I was know. gonna say it's gotta be lamb <laughs> I'm sure you've got some kind of gr- your past life. You were like Greek in a past life or something like that. Probably delicious. But otherwise I love Japanese food. I love, love, love. Like mm. I love, this is what I really love when there's lots of different things. Like I want lots of different types of dishes. Oh, like, yeah. Right. Not- like a bento style. Yeah. Like- yep. Or like, you know, the is yeah. or you know, and that's another good thing about roasts. I love that there's so many different dishes because I love yeah. to have everything, like a zesty salad with really juicy meat and then like creamy. Yes. Like all of the different textures and flavors is just. Yes. It's the combination. Yeah. It's the combination of all those things. I'm trying to teach my children this at the moment because kids, they eat things separately <laughs> and it. I'm trying to explain to them that there's a reason that all of these things are together on your plate. It's because, and like, honestly, Jonty's the same. Like I love my husband, but he's kind of the same. He like eats his meat first because you've got to eat that warm. And then he moves on to the other things. Anyway, I'm like, there's a reason all of these things are together here right now. There is a combination of flavors that you're missing out on. (laughs) You psychopaths. It's like, yeah, people are like, you are there's texture, there's like, yeah, there's complexity of flavor. There's like salty, sweet, umami. Like, come on, guys. Anyway, I'm trying to educate them. Oh, I get it. There is, yeah, honestly, yeah. It's I'm glad interesting. you understand. Maybe we should check, maybe we should check their design, though, because there's certain people who are designed mm. to eat, you know, one thing at a time or, you know, eat in a quieter space. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm with you on the combination piece. I, I love that. And like, juiciness and flavors Mm -hmm. and all of the things 
Yeah. I'm trying to remember what mine is in my human design. I think it's like, I think mine is direct light. And so Mm. I'm pretty sure mine is direct light. So it's like, I like things to, and this is like presentation is very important to me. (laughs) Like the way that it looks on the plate. I like a multitude of colors. Yeah. I need to pull your chart out tonight. I haven't looked at that in a little while. Everybody go look at what, (laughs) everybody go and check it out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, 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 so much. Honestly, your wisdom is like nothing else. And, you know, you have been just the most significant person, honestly, outside of my intimate relationships and family over the last year. And I'm so thrilled that you could be here to have this conversation with me. I am celebrating you, Mika. This podcast is, it's going to be incredible. And I just, I'm so grateful to have connected with you. You are a person who's really embodied in what it is that you are about. You're about it. That's what Beyonce says. She's like, don't talk about it, be about it. And you're, you are (laughs) about it. I fucking love it so much. So it's been my honor and my privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much. absolutely loved this conversation with Gria. This felt like a real full circle moment for me. And it is, and I do not say this lightly, it is a real honour for me to be able to have these conversations with women who are doing incredibly important things in the world and to give them the opportunity to share that wisdom with those who haven't made contact with it yet. So thank you for listening. I hope you found this conversation as expansive as I did having it. And I encourage you to connect with Gria. All of her details I've linked in the show notes. Something I wanted to leave you with, which is one of my favorite things that Gria's ever said, is that Earth needs our creative legacy. Thank you for listening and you'll hear from me next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Nourish Woman. I hope something in this conversation resonated with you. And if so, please share it with a friend. You can hit follow or write a review or simply share on social media. It would be amazing. Thank you so much again for listening. Until next time, take care of yourself.